You can open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to be over in chapter 18 eventually. We're going to hit a few other things here first. But there was a Department of Water Resources representative who stopped by a Texas ranch to talk to the old rancher. He told the ranch, he said, I need to inspect your ranch for water allocation. So the old rancher said, okay, but don't go into the field over there. So the water representative said, Mister, I have the authority of the federal government. And he pulled out a card. He had it in his wallet, and that card showed that he had the authority of the federal government and that he can go wherever it is that he needs to go to do his job. So the old rancher just kind of shut his mouth and let him go on and do what he needed to do. Well, uh, Rancher was out, outside doing, he's going about his work, and all of a sudden he heard these screams coming from the field that he had pointed at. And out he saw came this federal employee running for his life, being chased by a bull. So the rancher quickly went over to the fence, stood on the fence, and hollered out to the federal employee. He said, quick, pull out your wallet and show him your card. Yeah, sometimes we misunderstand authority, don't we? Sometimes some things don't respect the authority that we do have. That bull was not respecting the authority that the government worker had. As we looked uh, over this in the last number of times, we saw, as we looked at our poster child for stubborn, Pharaoh, that first off, he was messed up. There were a couple of identifiers for him that, he, uh, that his relationship to authority was messed up. That identified him as having a problem in this area. He was not generous with the supply. He had no focus during turmoil, and his motivation and boldness was selfishness. We saw last week the underlying theme, the underlying reason why he was so stubborn was because he saw himself as right. Now, it's one thing to see yourself as right when you are right, but it's it's another thing to see yourself as right when you are not, and Pharaoh was not right, and he's tried to stand up against God. We went... Went over that a number of weeks ago. You know, it's, if, you're, if you're right and you move off of those right principles, then you're not steady. You shouldn't be moved off of right principles. If a principle is right, then you should stay with it. No matter what. No matter who comes after you. You need to stay with it. That's being steady. That's not being stubborn. But if you are wrong, you're not standing on a godly principle and you stay on it, you're just being stubborn. They're very similar to each other. And sometimes stubborn people have been accused of being steady and steady people have been accused of being stubborn. But it all comes back to the Word of God. Well, as we looked at Pharaoh a lot last week, we're not going to look at him quite so much this week. What we're going to go over here this time is that uh, we call this the con game. The Christians are being conned by the enemy. They're cheated out of help, wisdom, understanding, and even power. This is things that are sent by God to help us. But it doesn't get to us. The best way to stop being conned is to understand the game. The tactics the con is using. The enemy is trying to con us out of things. We've got to make sure that we stand up against it. So we're going to look at some cons here today. Uh, First off, just going over some things that Pharaoh did. 
He refused to listen or yield to God's authority. He refused to listen to or to yield to God's authority. He was his own authority. We cannot be our own authority. Jesus operated under the authority of the Father. And the centurion was one who recognized that he had power because he was under authority. He said, I too am a man under authority. When we are under authority, we have power. When we are just out there on our own, we don't. He was his own authority. And he would not give what God asked. God asked, what did God ask him to do? Let my people go. He says, no, they're mine. I'm not going to give them up. They're mine. So he conditioned himself to yield only to himself. And this is the first con. Condition. The enemy wants to con you by conditioning you to certain responses. Here's what happens. As authorities in my life, how many of y'all have authorities in your life? You know, when we're growing up, we have parents. And then we have a boss. We have uh, government authorities. We have police. We have a number of different authorities that are in our life. Some of them we are subjected to because of laws and some of them we have subjected ourselves to voluntarily because we have seen something positive and we want to gain what they have as authorities in my life become disqualified i have fewer avenues for god to use to correct me this is the con that the enemy wants to do he wants to take different authorities that are in our life and disqualify them he wants to take certain preachers and disqualify them well they're no good because they do this, or they're this way, or, or whatever it might be. He wants to disqualify parents. How many of y'all know when you were growing up, you saw reasons to disqualify your parents as being authority, as being right, as being someone to listen to? And that's wrong. As you become parents, you find out your own kids want to try and do that to you at times. As you are in the workplace, you come up with reasons why your boss is no good, why your boss is out to get you, while your boss is out to whatever, the company is out to get you. The comp- we come up with all these things. And the whole thing is to try and disqualify you or disqualify that authority in its relationship to you. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father, the Son in whom he delights. And in Hebrews 12 and verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If we disqualify the authorities in our life, then one by one we are knocking out the avenues for which God can use to chasten us, to discipline us, to bring us into correction. And if we can get rid of, the devil can get rid of a number of those, then no one can correct you and God can't bring you back into the place where you can be blessed. No one could correct Pharaoh. He hardened his heart to it. Even the, for a while, he would listen to the magicians because they would come in and they could do the same thing. Oh, okay, well, they can do the same thing, so I'm not going to listen. But then one time, they came in and said, we couldn't do it. We can't duplicate this. This is the hand of God. And he still refused to listen to it. So one by one, he's disqualifying the authorities in his life. The people that were around him to try and talk with him and give him good advice. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't listen. I put this in your outline. I hope you get a hold of this one. I can condition myself to listen or to yield to a number of things. But this is a conditioning. This is a thing that we do. How many of y'all know when you're growing up, you conditioned yourself to know the voice of your mother? 
You condition yourself to know the voice of your father. If they hollered at you on a beach, if they hollered at you in a store, if they hollered at you in a mall, you could hear that voice over all others because you were conditioned to it. We can become conditioned to a lot of things. Some of us guys, we've become conditioned to certain sounds on the TV. You know, when you're flipping around the stations and you hear that music for Monday night football. Doesn't that get your attention? Even if you just heard two or three bars of it as you're flipping around on the stations. <gasps> what is there football? And it kind of can condition you to, to certain things. We can become conditioned or sensitive to hear certain things. I can condition myself to listen to or to yield to, first off, my spirit or my flesh. I can condition myself to listen to my spirit or I can condition myself to listen to my flesh. How many have ever resigned themselves that I am going on a diet? And it could be all kinds of reasons for a diet. Maybe you want to have healthy diet. Maybe you want to lose weight. Maybe you want to gain weight. Maybe you want to stay away from certain foods. Whatever it might be, you've decided I'm going to go on a diet. And you've Pick the type, type of diet that you want and you are pursuing it. And now you've got a couple of voices. The one voice that has decided, I want to go on a diet. And the other voice that has not decided to go on a diet. How many of y'all know they have that inside? I got a little voice that says, I don't want to go on that diet. If you go on a diet that's all vegetables, I don't know why you would do that. But I've heard that people have, have done that. And you go on and all vegetables... And you have been one that likes meat and you walk by the Outback Steakhouse and you smell, oh, that steak. Oh, that smells so good. So what are you, what are you having now? I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing the voice of meat calling. Come, enjoy. But I've got another part of me that says, no, 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 I want to I do this kind of a diet. I heard some good things about it. I'm going to try this thing out. And so, no. You see, you're, you're practicing which one you're going to yield to. And each time that you do that, you are yielding to that particular thing. Your flesh wants certain things. Your flesh wants to get mad whenever it wants to. Your flesh wants to get mad at whomever your flesh wants to. Because it wants to get mad. If your rights are violated, if somehow you've been shortchanged, what's your flesh want to do? Get mad. And if you yield to it, then you are learning to yield to the flesh and not the spirit. You're practicing. You are conditioning yourself. So all that your flesh has to do is just make a little noise and you come running along. You don't want to do that. I can condition myself to listen to my spirit or I can condition myself to listen to the flesh. If you've got the Word of God and the Word of God comes up on the inside of you and says, Thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do this, and then your flesh comes along and says, But I want that. What do you do? How many have ever said something like this? I mean, what? Somebody comes up to you, Why did you do that? Well, I felt like it. <laughs> right? We feel justified now because I felt like it. Why did you say that? Because I felt like it. Well, what are we giving into there? given to our flesh our flesh feels like saying that the word of god doesn't say say what you feel it says speak the truth in in love that's becoming dominated by the spirit and there are some times that you need to bite your tongue 
How many times have you found out later on that somebody bit their tongue around you and didn't say some things that they could have said and you find out about them later? Oh, man, I appreciate that you didn't say that. Then I probably wouldn't have received it. I'm conditioning myself to listen or to yield to my spirit or my flesh. Which one do you yield to? When you get up in the morning, which, which voice is louder? Your flesh, which says, sleep a little longer. Have you ever, you've heard that one? Sleep a little longer. Stay in bed. Why do you need to get up? But I can condition myself to yield to these things. If I condition myself that when the Word of God speaks to me, I listen to it, it's going to change my reaction. It causes me to be softer to the things of God and harder to the things of the flesh. Pharaoh conditioned himself to listen to, I'm the authority. I know what's going on. I know what's right. I'm not giving that up. I want this and I want that. And it caused him to lose everything. He lost all the wealth. He lost all of the food. He lost all kinds of stuff. I can condition myself to listen or to yield to my spirit or my flesh. I can condition myself to listen or yield to what I reason or what I receive. What I reason or what I receive. You see, the spirit of God doesn't speak through our reason. He speaks to us in our spirit and we receive those things. But in our minds, we reason things out. If I have to reason everything out that I'm going to obey from God, I'm going to be yielding to the wrong things. If God says, need to get up and go over here, and I've received that in my spirit, and I know I've received that in my spirit, but well, why do I need to get up and go over there? What's over there? There's nothing over there. That's not right. Can't do that. We've got to listen. We've got to condition ourselves. The third one was, what I see or what I believe. I can condition myself to listen to or yield to what I see or what I hear. You can put in that as well. Contrary to that, what I believe. There are some things that you see that are contrary to what you believe. How many have things that you see or things that you hear that are contrary to what you believe? And you've got a choice of which one you're going to believe. Which one you're going to go to. How many of you feel things in your body that are different from what you believe? you got a choice which one you're going to go with, which one you're going to believe. You can condition yourself to believe those things. Which one you're going to do it? What I see or what I believe. If I continue to put down and find fault with, to not yield or listen to authorities in my life, they will gradually disappear until eventually the ultimate authority will also go, and that's God. If I keep putting down all the authorities that are in my life, if I put down this one, my boss here, my uh, co-worker here, or my supervisor, or the different ones there, if I put down the Word, if I put down different uh, gifts that God has put in the body of Christ, teachers, pastors, prophets, so forth, if I keep putting all these things down and disqualifying them and finding all reasons why they're wrong, then eventually I have no way for God to correct me. And I can't get into a place that is good and I've conditioned myself to listen to the flesh, which the flesh is all about being right. I'm right, because that's what I want. It's okay to be right. It's okay to insist that you are right, as long as you are right, according to God. But you've got to be right according to God. If you're not right according to God, then you need to take in some correction. 
Well, should you really believe that? Should you really stand with that? Because sometimes we are thinking that we're right on spiritual principles and it's wrong. We're wrong. We've done a lot of things in the name of religion that's not right. And we think that it is. I haven't told this story in a little while, but that's one of those stories that Brother Hagin used to share with us and just moved me. I may remember the story about Sister Gray. No, I'll tell you what, that's one of those stories that just shook me to the, to the core when he told us that. And every time he would tell it, I would be on the edge of my seat, tell it again. I need to learn the lessons that are about Sister Gray. But this is back when Brother Hagin used to say he wasn't quite so bold. And he was in a church service, and he saw some lady came on in. She talked with the pastor, and just to kind of shorten it up a little bit, he'll make it a little bit longer if you ever hear him tell it. The pastor came up after the worship service was over and said, Sister Gray had uh, some kind of thing happen to her. I forget what exactly it was. But he said, um, the doctor doesn't think that she's going to make it through the night. So we need to pray together that God will heal her body and that she'll be raised up well. And so the whole church prayed together that she'd be raised up and that God would, would uh, minister to her healing power. And after they prayed, they all said, now how many of you believe what we prayed? And they all said, amen. They all raised their hands. They all shouted. And the next, uh, the next day, the same woman came in, talked to the pastor after the worship service was over, the pastor came up to the podium and said, well, Sister Gray made it through the night. They didn't think she was going to, but she made it through the night. And the doctor said she passed the hard part, that uh, it looks good. But her body is still terribly weak. We need to pray again that God will touch her and strengthen her body, that she would be completely healed. And so they all got together and they all prayed that she'd be completely healed. And then they all hooted and hollered and everything like that. And Brother Hagin was on the stage and he sat there and he said, and it was like a voice that was behind me. He said, I turned around to see what it was. But he heard, heard this voice. He said, that's it. They've taken her out of my hands now. She'll be dead in three days. And he told us his lesson from that. He said, by prayer, you can put people into the hands of God. And by prayer, you can take them out. Three days later, Sister Gray was dead. He said, did, why, was, why did that happen? The first night they believed that she, what they asked for and believed for a complete healing. Why did they have to come back and ask for anything different? The fact that her body was weak was just a condition. She had gone through a, a traumatic thing. And her body was weak, but her body was strengthening. It's getting stronger. It's getting better. We sometimes pray in such a way to disbelieve the prayers we've made prior. We can't do that. You need to stand on the principles that you believe and don't be moved by what you see. Don't be moved by what you feel. Be moved by what you believe. Train yourself to do that. If you train yourself to believe, to, to operate on the things that you believe instead of the things that you feel and the things that you see, your life will change. Don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you all have problems with days where you feel really good and days where you feel really bad? Days where you're in a really good mood and days when you're in a really bad mood. Don't raise your hand, but if you've been having problems in that area, suffering on, on things like that, the reason for it is simple. You don't live by what you believe. No, that's not it. Yes, it is. Live by what you believe. What does the Word of God say? Well, you know, sometimes I feel close to God and sometimes I don't. Stop being moved by what you feel. What did God say about you? I will be... With you most days, 
There are some days I need to go and take care of some other people, but most days I'm going to be here with you. Is that what he said? He said, I'll be with you 300 days out of the year. The other ones you're on your own for, but I'll be there for 300 of the days. What did he say? Six days a week, I'll be there with you. The seventh day, though, well, you know, I need to rest. What's God say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when you come to God and say, God, I just don't feel like you're around. What are you doing? You're being moved by what you feel. Being moved by what you see. You're not being moved by what you believe. You just need to get in front of yourself and say, self, God is with me. God is here. God is working for me. Yeah, but you don't feel anything. So? Yeah, but you don't see anything. So? He's there. You smile and you go on. Father God, I thank you that the joy of the Lord is on the inside of me. I thank you that my joy is not dependent on whether my boss is a good boss, whether my coworkers are good coworkers, whether my supervisor is a good supervisor, whether my company is a good company. I thank you that joy is based on God. And no matter what situation I am in, I can be joyful. Joseph was able to be joyful in prison, in slavery. Moses was able to be joyful with two to four million grumbling, complaining people wandering around in the wilderness where there's just hot. He continued to be joyful, continued to be close to God, having a good time with God, waking up in the morning, finding two to four million people ready to kill him. He says, glory to God. What do you have to say, God? <laughs> It's just a, it's a different way of going about things. And that's how we need to do. We need to be moved by what we believe. But we condition ourselves this way. We train ourselves this way. This is how we, we need to go about doing things. We've got to condition ourselves. We've got to train ourselves. If you go on a diet to lose weight and you have been used to every time you drive by the Dairy Queen to stop in and get a large whatever. Uh, what do they sell over there? I'm trying to think of what they... Blizzards, that's the big thing. I get one of them every once in a while. You get in there and you go on by, pick up a large blizzard loaded with all kinds of stuff. Well, that's kind of contrary to what you are wanting to do, isn't it? And you can't do that. You've got to stand there when that voice comes in and says, No, 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 no. I'm not going to give in to that. I want to do this. And I believe that Dairy Queen large blizzards are contrary to that, so I'm going to stay away from them. And that's what you need to do. Because you believe it. And you condition yourself. You train yourself. Now you look at me and so say, you never had to be on a diet a day in your life. And you're wrong. I used to be on all kinds of diets. One of the diets I was on when I was in the... When I was, it was training, when I was running cross-country and going out to track and stuff like that, one of the things I would do was... and, and um, I, I took a couple of things out of my diet. One thing I took out of my diet was all sodas. Because I was told that that kind of hinders you when you're running. Does, I don't know if it does or not. I just was told that it can stop some of the oxygenation going on in your blood. So I knocked out all sodas. You know what else I knocked out? I knocked out every single dessert known to man except for one. Ice cream. It's the only one I did. Brother Naz is saying, glory to God. <laughs> I allowed ice cream to be in my diet and I would allow myself to have ice cream twice a week. 
And so what, and people knew this. I'm sorry, it was only twice a week. And people knew this. I'm at college. You know, we're just amongst other college people. And people knew this. And when we're at college, you know, you've got a buffet. And there's desserts. And they would come back with the desserts. And they would lay them in front of me. And they would eat them in such a way as to entice me to eat them. And didn't entice me at all. Because I believed that sugary sweets were contrary to my beliefs. Contrary to where I wanted to go. And so I didn't, I didn't eat them. I eventually refined the diet and included not only those kind of things, but I eliminated almost all fat out of my diet. I'm not saying that fat is bad. I'm just saying that I read some things that seemed to indicate that it may have hindered what I wanted to do since I've decided that's probably not the case. But at the time, <laughs> that's what I felt was going on. And so I went from whole milk to 2% milk to 1% milk. Didn't quite get down to skim milk. But I eliminated so many fats out of my diet that if you gave me a glass of regular milk or gave me anything cooked with cream, I would almost throw it up because I wasn't used to drinking, to eating any type of fats. I just, my body was just, it's not that it couldn't, get, it just wasn't used to it because I had decided this is what I'm going to believe, right or wrong. You can come up to me later and say, well, that's wrong. It, it probably was. I probably was doing some things that were not right. But I believed it and I functioned off of the belief. Not what I saw. That's how we have to get with the things of God. Now, how many of you all know that our revelation of the things of God is not complete? But what you need to do is to train yourself to operate in the level that you know. In the level that you believe. That's why Paul wrote some of those things in the New Testament, when he talked about things about food, he said, don't, don't try and tempt your brothers, brothers and sisters. If they have a, a weakness on food, they think that certain foods are, are wrong to eat, don't sit there and flaunt that in front of them. It doesn't, he never went over whether they were right or wrong in the belief. He just said, don't do it. They're operating under what they believe to be true. Don't try and tempt them and move them off of operating off of what they believe. We need to learn how to operate off of what we believe. Right or wrong, we operate in what we, we believe. You know, when I was going through the cross-country thing, I, I think I told you this before, but I was really into the supplements. I had over two dozen supplements I took at a time. Sometimes two, three times a day. I, I think I told you the story before. I used to, we had competitions, my roommate got me on the supplements and he used to take them and so we took all these different pills and so the only way we made it fun was to see how many pills can you swallow at one time and we got up pretty high i can't do what i used to be able to do in in that but it didn't really make any difference but he told us about the supplements and i believed that supplements were going to help me and so i spent money on supplements and bought supplements and down the hatch I believed that protein powder and raw eggs and milk would help me in my goals. And so every morning, I would drink protein powder, milk, and raw eggs. Mix it all together and down the hatch. I'm not saying that I liked it. I'm not saying that I enjoyed it. I'm saying I believed it would help me in my cause. So I drank it. But I see one thing I was doing that was helpful was I was training myself to do what I believed not what I felt, not what I thought, not what I saw. See, this is what we have to get into. 
I mean, if you get a little bit of benefit of that with stupid stuff like food and pills and supplements, stuff like that, how much more when you get benefit from the Word of God? But we've got to learn to do these things. We've got to learn to do this. Now, you get back on the diet thing. How many of y'all have gotten a diet? And, you know, I think one of the, one of the foods that is on the blacklist of almost every diet out there known to man, and I don't know why because I think it's one of the best foods in the world beside ice cream. <laughs> Pizza. You know, if you go into most of your diets, you know, they, they, want to, they want to get rid of pizza. I don't know why everybody has something against pizza. Pizza has just about all the food, five food groups right on there. It's got your dairy. It's got your bread. It's got your meat. It's got your vegetables. Everything's right there. Pizza is the complete meal. You should have it every day. Every day. I, I kind of tried to prove that theory because when I was working at the pizza place, I sometimes had pizza three times a day. Breakfast pizza. We would have uh, Canadian bacon. Lunch pizza, you'd have like a pepperoni. And then dinner pizza, you have a works. Because sometimes we never left. We just were there all the whole time. And so we had pizza breakfast, pizza for lunch, and pizza for dinner. And uh, we survived. So pizza must be good food. But if you give up something like pizza or something that you really like, and all right, I'm going to determine. I'm, I believe that to be harmful for me. I am not going to do that anymore. What happens the next day? You get a craving for Pizza. We did this in the, when we first started leading the church in these fasts. I remember a couple of people, they would come up to me, they, you know, we'd do a church-wide fast for a day, two days, three days, whatever it was. And I remember people would come up to me and say, you know what, I never eat breakfast. The first day of the fast, I was hungry at breakfast time. First day of the fast, I was hungry. I, never, I don't eat breakfast. And the first day of the fast, I am hungry at breakfast time. I'm never hungry at breakfast time, he would say. Why? Because you have declared war on something and the enemy knows we've got to get you, we've got to con you back into this area over here where you are listening to your flesh, not your spirit. Where you're listening to your impulses, not your beliefs. And we want to get you out of that. But you can train yourself. You can get yourself going. So the first thing that we saw, we can get conditioned. The second thing, we can get confused. Pharaoh became confused. How many times did we see Pharaoh in the story? All right, I'll let the people go. And then the thing would go away. The darkness would go away. The gnats would go away. Something, the frogs would go away. And then what would he say? No, nah, I changed my mind. You're not going to go anywhere. He's confused. He thinks it's beneficial to let them go. Then he thinks it's beneficial to have them stay. Then he thinks it's beneficial to let them go. Then he thinks it's beneficial to have them stay. He thinks it's beneficial to let them go. He thinks it's beneficial. To let them go. He thinks it's beneficial to let them go. He's a confused individual. He's going all over the place with that. Israel, in 1 Kings 18, verse 21, Elijah says to them, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. What was wrong with the people? They were confused. You cannot follow two opinions. The New Testament, Jesus teaches us, He says you can't serve two masters, either going to love the one, hate the other, or love the other, hate this one. You can't serve two masters. So you've got to determine, am I going to listen to my flesh? Am I going to listen to the things that I see, the things that I hear? Or am I going to listen to the beliefs that I have built on the Word of God? One will create, create you to be soft and receptive to the things of God. The other will create you to be soft and receptive to the things of the world, the things of the flesh, the things of the enemy.
But over here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's read this book. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This is after David and Goliath, after he had killed the giant. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. In other words, they went into a covenant together. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines. The woman had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul and the tambourines with joy and with musical instruments. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. The saying displeased him and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Here's where Saul is becoming confused. At first, after he slaughtered the Philistine, the giant, and led them into a big victory, and as he was going out before the people and coming back in, and as he was playing the instrument that really helped Saul out, Saul viewed David as beneficial to him and the kingdom. But then they're coming back from a victory, and the ladies get out there and they start singing a song. Saul has slain his thousands. That sounds good. And David is tens of thousands. And Saul hears that and he says, Oh, wait a minute. They're giving David 10,000, only, only giving me a thousand. I don't like that. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So he begins to watch him. So now he's confused. David is doing all these things to help my kingdom, but it could hurt my kingdom too because. The people may get behind him instead of behind me. And this will hurt, so he's confused. He's not sure which is good. Now, sometimes, have you ever seen this with, with Christians? Sometimes Christians can be the most fickle. I, I don't know what it is about Christians, but sometimes they can be the most fickle. Have you ever heard somebody come in, you know, they were, they're a spiritual person, they've been praying, studying the Word of God, and they say, God has shown me that I need to do, that I need to go, then I need to become, and they state what it is. And they are enthusiastic. God has shown me. I was praying. I was studying the word. And God has shown me that this is the direction for my life. God has shown me that this is the thing I need to do. God has shown me these things. And a week later, you ask them about it. Oh, no, that wasn't God. No, I was, I was confused. I think they're still confused. How is it that something can be so much God last week and then it's not? But if you watch these people, it's a, it's a matter of uh, life for them. Constantly. Well, yeah, God has shown me this. God has shown me that. And next week, God has shown you something different. God has shown me I'm supposed to be over here. And then a week later, they stop. How can you stop doing that? Well, I didn't see God in it anymore. Man, God is fickle. Whew. In a week, he can change his mind. I've heard people say, God got me this job. God took me to this place to get a job over here. And a week later, they quit it. Why? Well, they'll tell you, well, God didn't want me there anymore. No, what it meant was it got hard. And you didn't stay with what God showed you. You, you know, people got it a little tough for you or whatever it might be. Don't do that. 
listen to what God says. What does God say to do? And then do it. If you missed it, just say, you know what? I missed God on that. I thought that was God, but it wasn't. Don't go over this thing or, well, that's what God said last week, but now this week it's different. Because that's not how God operates. Verse 10, it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. So Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now, for most of us, one time would be enough. If your boss threw a spear at you at work, how many of you are not showing up the next day? (laughs) David did, though. He showed up the next day. So Now, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him a captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. This is not working out the way that Saul wanted. Saul wants to get rid of David. Even though he's helping his kingdom, he wants to get rid of him. Verse 17, Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. If I keep putting him out there in battles, eventually one of those Philistines are going to get lucky. So David went out to Saul, Who am I and what is my life and my father? family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king but it happened at the time when Merab Saul's daughter should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel the Mahalite as a wife and Michal Saul's daughter loved David and they told Saul and the thing pleased him so Saul said I will give her to him that he that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him therefore Saul said to David a second time you shall be my son-in-law today and Saul commanded his servants communicate with David secretly and say, The Lord has, look, the king has delighted you and all his servants look or love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. And Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines, so take vengeance of the king's enemies. So he had to go out and kill 100 of them, which I don't think was a big deal. They are saying that he killed 10,000. 100 is not a big deal. But Saul thought to make David fall by the sword of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, and he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought the foreskins they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as wife. So he went over and above what he had to do. Verse 28, Thus saw, thus saw Saul and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war and it was... And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. Have you ever been in a work environment in which the boss is out to get you? In which employees around there are murmuring, saying things against you, coming against you? If bad things happen, 
or your mind can begin to think that bad things will happen because of these people. Look at David. David has the boss who wants to kill him. The boss has got servants that are on his side and they're out there trying to undermine him. And no matter what, David rises high. They can't keep him down. Don't worry about people that are against you. Concentrate on who is for you and do the things that the father says to do. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father, Saul, seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you, that what I observe I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, because his works have been very good toward you. They've been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Thus Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. There was war again and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and they fled before him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in the house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Well, apparently that didn't last too long. They're still coming after him. Now, if you're David, you can get a complex. Verse 33, Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined... Well, I've burned... Sorry, you've got to... Go to chapter 20. He doesn't just try and kill David. Verse 33, he tries to kill his own son. His son, once again, stands up to defend David. And thus Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. He got so far that this father threw a spear at his son. If you go through the whole story of David and Saul, the reason that Saul gives to Jonathan for why David has to go. Anybody remember? You will not be king as long as David, the son of Jesse, is around. He has got to go or you can't be king. You know what else will stop you from being king? If you're dead, that'll stop you from being king. Saul is getting all worked up because he says, David's going to be king in your place. I want you to be king. And he's ready to kill Jonathan in order to get David. Is that confused? Is that messed up? But this is how messed up we can get when we start walking outside of that, that area of authority. Saul would not listen to anybody. Prophets would come and explain things to Saul. He wouldn't listen to him. Samuel would come and tell him that things and he didn't listen to him. He's not listening. He's not yielding. He eventually goes up in chapter 22 and he kills God's priest. He stands there in the city and says, you guys help David. And he says to some people, you kill, kill these priests. And they wouldn't do it. They said, We're, <laughs> no, these are priests. We're not going to kill them. And so he turns over to Doeg and says, Doeg, you kill them. And so he did because he had no character. He went as far as to kill God's priest to get at David. 
Now take a look at a contrary view here. Chapter 24, verse 3. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and sickly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened. Afterward, that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. And the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And then later on, Saul calls out to him and says, Saul, is that you, David? And they have this big discussion. And he says, I had you right in my hands. I had people telling me to kill you, but I didn't do it. I'm not after you. Why are you after me? And Saul repented. And he said, all right, I'm not going to come after you anymore. And he left. But then over in chapter 26, he comes after him again. And he's encamped with a whole big army. And David says, who will go with me? Verse 6 of chapter 26. Then David answered and said to Abimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, saying, who will go with, go with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. He penetrated the camp with all these mighty men. These are all really good warriors. And he's standing there next to Saul. And Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. How many times you will find people who will tell you that God has done something to help you that goes against what you believe in the Word of God. You cannot buy into it. No matter what things look like. See, this is an opportunity David has to either look at how things are or to go with what he believes. What David believes is that Saul is the anointed by God and that it is not his place to kill him. It is not anyone's place to kill him. It is God's. And that God will take care of it. And when given an opportunity, he doesn't, leave, he doesn't go off of that. Abishai says, Let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. And David said to Abishai, I do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, there, Furthermore, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. And we know that one of those things did come about. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw it or knew it or awoke. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. In other words, God opened up the whole avenue for him to get right in there, right by Saul and do what he wants. You can put it this way. God said, David, let's see which way you're going to go. You're going to take the easy way out. You're going to do what you believe. David said, I'm going to do what I believe. And I believe it's wrong to kill him. Even though he's trying to kill me. So take the spear, take the jug of water. Let's go. And he leaves. Saul has no respect for authority. And the authorities in Saul's life are shrinking to the point that he lost the authority of God in his life and even killed his priests. David's area of authority. He has people that are authority in his life. He has prophets that he listens to. He has friends that he listens to. 
And because of that, God is able to send great men, wise men, into David's path. And David collects people who give him tremendously good advice. Ahithophel was one of those people, one of the wisest men. He was attracted to David. David listened to him. And Ahithophel helped his kingdom out quite a bit. But David knew, even though this authority is nasty to me, how many of y'all know that David has a reason to suspect that Saul is going to continue to be nasty to him? Be mean, to be harsh, to try and kill him. And even after they leave here, if you go on and you read the rest of this when you're at home, if you go on and read the rest, you're going to find out that David says, after Saul is leaving, and Saul says, you know what, I'm wrong, I shouldn't be doing this. And David says, send uh, some of the young men over here, I'll give them your spear and I'll give them your jug of water back. I don't want them. And so he sends somebody on over. And he says, I won't pursue you anymore. And David says, fine, all right, we'll see you later. And David turned to his men and says, he's going to come back. We need to do something about this. And that's when David leaves the land of Israel and goes on into the land of the Philistines and lives over in there. And once Saul heard that he was in the land of the Philistines, he stopped pursuing him. But a very different attitude between these two and their view to authority. Saul is confused. Don't be confused. Don't get in a place where you are caught between two opinions. Either the Word of God that you believe is true or it's not. Either the belief that you have is right or it's not. Live up to what you know. Live up to what you know. Remember that statement Brother Hagin made when he was on the bed dying? God said to him, when he was saying, I know I have faith. If you were to stand right here in front of me and say you have no faith, I would tell you you're wrong. I know I have faith. That's being convinced you're right, isn't it? And God said to him, he didn't say you don't have faith. He says you believe as far as you know. We've got to increase what we know. God will speak to us. God will help us out. But I'll do that because there's different authorities in our life. Make sure that those authorities that you have in your life are ones that are going to speak the word of God to you. Ones that are going to help you out. Ones that are going to speak good things. So he was confused. Here's our third one. Conquered. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you to a place you're confused. He wants to get you to a place where you are conquered. Pharaoh loses his land. He loses his riches. He loses the whole army. And eventually lost his throne. Saul loses his son. He lost the throne. And he lost the people. He lost his son because his son was mad at him. And on the day that he died, his son died. He lost the throne and he lost the respect of the people. Now, here's a verse of Scripture. This was a way early on in the series. I told you I was meditating on this and, and thinking about this. How many have ever heard this verse of Scripture? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, most of the time I've heard this, I've just thought that, well, that's just a, a you know, an if-then. If you will do this, then this will happen. I have ever looked at it this way? And if then, if you will obey, then you will live long and prosper. Ken Jr. used to talk about a story that um, every time that he was disciplined by his dad, he would always pull him aside. And he says, look, I want you to live long and prosper. So I'm disciplining you. <laughs> you need to obey. You need to um, learn to obey the, the voice. And, and Ken Jr. got so nervous about it one time, he forgot to take out the trash and he was uh, called his dad up. And he said, Dad, I don't want to die early. His dad said, why are you going to die early? Well, I forgot to take out the trash. <laughs> and he's just little then. You know, but that's, 
I've always looked at this as an if-then thing. But I've, we were sitting here in service, and, uh, I don't know, about two months ago or something like that. And this dropped down on the inside of me, that in the area of authority, when we are young children, when we learn to obey our parents, when we are young children, we learn the role of authority in our life. We learn the role of parents speaking into our life. How many of you were like me when you were a child and your parents would say something, something on the inside of you rose up and said, mm, no. And, you know, that would either get beaten out of you or disciplined out of you or somehow that was gonna, that's going to get out of you. <laughs> and our parents, you know, they, my parents, they did things to take care of that. But I always looked at it as an if-then thing. It's a training episode. If you, when you are young, learn that authority is to speak things into your life. And when you receive those things, those are things for life. Then you will live long and prosper. You will live long on the earth. It will be well with you. Colossians 3 verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. See, when we are learning as little kids and we're growing up and our parents are doing certain things and they say, you know, don't eat the cookies, don't go across the street, be home by 6 o'clock, different things like that, and we go against it, I am learning to take authority in my life that is trying to speak good things into me and to distrust them and to cut them off. And if I continue to learn that, then when I am no longer under my parents' authority, but I am under other authority, I will treat them the same way I treated my parents. And I will cut off those authorities from speaking into my life. Eventually getting to the point that God as the supreme authority tries to speak into our life through his word, through his spirit, and we resist it. We don't obey it. Because we have learned that I am my own authority. If we were little kids and we kept that attitude, how many have ever been in the, the Walmart? I get in there maybe once a year. I have nothing against Walmart. It's just the people that shop there. I, I, it's just maybe it's just the times that I'm in there. I just probably that. I don't mean everybody's in there, but I'll tell you what, I've been in the Walmarts and I have seen some of the weirdest human behavior. I don't know what it is about that one store. But it just got me to the point that, you know, I, I don't go in there. If you go in there, I'm sure that you have been in there in times that I have not been. And we're not talking about you. But if you've been in Walmart, how many of you have seen some very strange human behavior? Anybody else beside me? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. The only place I came close to it was uh, way back when I was a kid. If uh, How many of you remember, remember the Montgomery Mart? Oh, boy, you got some characters in that store, too. Man, yeah, Q Mart. I've never, I never went to that one too much. I was afraid. <laughs> no, I just never, never got out to that. But we were at the Montgomery Mart every once in a while. But you just see people, and the, the, their strange behavior that you see, the ones that I'm talking about, is you see children doing things to their parents that just made me mad. And you like to go over and take those kids and beat them. You ever have that in, that impulse? You just want to go over there. You, you, you find that child just abusing the parent and you just want to go over there and set that child right. You ever, ever had that overwhelming urge to go over there and to set that child right? Because you know this is not right. This is not good. And this poor helpless parent. 
And of course, then you hear the different things. It always goes the same pattern. Always follows the same way. You hear the parent, when I get home, when I get you out to the car, and I'm thinking, man, don't do that. Do it now. <laughs> do it now. That child is begging for a spanking. Do it now. Or else I do the thing. If, if you behave, when we get to the register, I'll let you get some gum. Oh, man, of the, the harm that does. You're not training that person. You're not teaching them to respect authority. You need to retrain the, the children up to respect authority because there's going to come a time when the children are no longer under the parent's authority, but still they need to respect authority. And those kids, I bet you, if you watched them in school, guess what they're doing? Disrespecting teachers. Disrespecting rules. No rules good enough for me. I'm over any teacher. I'm over any rule. And these are the people, when you can kind of tell how they're going to grow up, can't you? You can kind of call how it's going to be until something comes into their life and changes that and causes a, a, a change in that situation. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. You, you, you know that it has to change. My daughter does stuff with kids all the time. We hear the stories of how they disrespect authority. And she works hard to make sure that they respect authority because she knows it's important. It's important that we respect authority because if I don't learn it when I'm young and I don't willingly submit to authority, then I'm going to have trouble. Jesus was powerful, was anointed because he submitted himself to the Father's will. If we as Christians don't learn to submit ourselves to the will of another, the Father, we will not come into the promises, the things that he wants us to do. And in the area of authority, that's why we, we this area is, is out here with Pharaoh. We covered this one early on. You have got to learn to respect authority. If you go around at work and say things to co-workers, no one here has ever done this, I'm sure, but you know other people that, and you say other things to co-workers about how bad your boss is, what happens? It will come against you because you are undermining authority. And as a Christian, you've got to know authority is why you have power. The name of Jesus is an authority word. I told you the stories before. I used to go around, speak some things against my boss, and God slapped me upside the face, and I listened. I will not do that anymore. I was wrong. didn't matter that what I was saying was right. It makes no difference at all. I was wrong, and I needed to correct myself. You've got to listen to authority. I served under people in ministry who had no scruples at all. I've served under people in ministry who I was very careful to keep them updated, very careful to keep them abreast of what was going on. Then certain individuals would walk in such a way that if given any given a, a moment's notice would turn their back on me and say things about me, say I did things. Well, he never told me he was doing that. Oh, well, I'll take care of that. We'll make sure that won't happen. And I had gone over the whole thing with them. But it's not my place to get up there and say, well, minister so-and-so, they're wrong. for." I, it's not my place to do it. I, I had to learn early on, as a, in authority, I have got to not do some things. If you speak against an authority in your life, and it doesn't matter if you are right, it doesn't matter if you are wrong, what matters is what you say with your mouth. If you speak those things out of your mouth, 
you are cutting off authority in your life that God has put to speak good things, helpful things, things that will help you in your life, and you will cut it off. If you cut off your supply, you're going to hinder where you can go. You've got to make sure. How many have ever heard somebody uh, you know, talk about some minister somewhere and there's, well, that, that person is wrong and that person is this and that person, don't do it. You don't need to mess with that. If you do, you are going to get into a place where you speak against authority. It's going to cut off authority in your life and it is through authority that God gives you what you need. The more you learn to submit to whatever authorities are in your life, the more you learn to speak kindly, speak good of any authority that's in your life, the more you will receive from God. It's a lesson I had to learn. It's not a lesson that I always functioned in, but it's a lesson that I had to learn. I had plenty of opportunities to say some things against some people. There are some times I took those opportunities. Finally, it dawned on me. I finally learned, no, I can't do that. And I don't go out there and, and, and speak those things. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The reason that it's well-pleasing is you are learning to submit to authority and not bucket. And that's what you got to do. You know, when I served under different pastors, if the pastor came out and he said, we're going to do this, guess what? You know, when I had him in private, I may ask him, do you sure you want to do that? There's some problems over here. But if I came out of there and he said, that's what we're going to do, that's what we had to do. And I couldn't go out there and say, well, I know that he wants to do that, but I'm not so convinced. I'm wrong. I can't do that. It's not a thing that we can do. We've got to learn this principle of authority in our life. There's a, who was it? Um, I think it was Keith Moore. We brought some of that series in here. Submission and Authority. Oh, it was a wonderful series. You can go back there and find it somewhere and get hold of it. It's a wonderful series. We've got to understand that when I learned uh, what the role of authority and the role of submission, and I operate in those things, it changes my life. It will change yours. Put this in your outline. If you learn to yield to authority when you are young, it will reap benefits for your future. But you've got to learn it when you are young. How many of you have authority figures in your life? Bosses, supervisors, the list can go on and on. You know who the authorities are in your life. Make sure that with the words of your mouth, you always speak respectfully about them. Always speak kindly about them. It does not matter if they deserve it. It does not matter if they earned it. If they're in a position of authority, you are respecting God by doing so. Now, this also works even in, the, in, in marriage situations. Parents, uh, sometimes the kids try and get in there and get the parents to undermine each other. It's a danger. Parents don't undermine each other. Get into agreement and stick with it. If you're not in agreement, don't disagree in private. When you come out, you are in agreement. Be in agreement. Stand on that thing. This is where we need to go. This is what we need to do. And as a parent, there are going to be some things you need to stand on that you don't agree with and some things you're going to make a stand on that you do agree with. But you've got to make the stand. You've got to respect authority. You've got to respect your wife. She has to respect you as the husband. 
You just you need to do that. But they don't deserve it. It doesn't matter if they deserve it. Because submission to authority is all about your attitude, not theirs. We don't sit there and we don't demand people submit to us. What we do is we become something that they can submit to. Okay, what if you do that? Pharaoh, so we showed you in the very first thing, first thing out of his mouth was he had a problem with authority. His relationship to authority was wrong. Get your relationship with authority right. Now, if you are, you all have bosses, you all have some authorities in your life, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you all know that your words have not always been the way they should be with those people that are in authority? You know why? Because you've given in to your flesh. Your flesh is the one that rises up and wants to speak against those people for what they have done against you. That's flesh. Don't do that. Yeah, but you don't know what they're saying against me. You don't know what they're trying to do. They're trying to take money from me. I refer back to this often enough. I remember Jeff and Chris Hickson, when they were here, they would always talk about their company, and they said, every decision that such and such company makes will benefit the Hicksons. They would always say that out of their mouth. And they, they came and gave a number of testimonies. I remember testimonies. They would come and they would give testimonies, and they would say, it didn't look like this was going to benefit the Hicksons. It looked like it was going to hurt the Hicksons. But we kept saying, every time we get up, it's going to benefit the Hicksons. They kept saying it. Because they believed it. And sure enough, before long, it benefited the Hicksons. They turned it around. They could have also gone in a direction to speak against their boss, how nasty they were, how much they took away from them. They didn't do it. They spoke good, and you turned into good situations. No matter how much your boss wants to get you out, no matter how much your boss might want to take away your money, the fact is that God is working on your behalf. And if you will do things as God says, the boss will not be able to help but see you be blessed. Remember Jacob with Laban? Laban kept wanting to take the money away from, from Jacob. And what happened? What did, what did Jacob leave with? Man, so much stuff. It took days to try and get that whole caravan to, to move out. He left, and that boss didn't want him to have anything. The Egyptians wanted to take everything away from Israel. What did the Israelites leave with? They looted. The Word of God says they looted the Egyptians on their way out. And they didn't take anything. The Egyptians came over and said, Here, take this. Please go. <laughs> Here, here's some rings. Here's some gold. Please leave us alone. Take this and go. And God says, That's back wages. God will find a way. But just don't give in to the thing. Talk negatively. Talk poorly. There is nothing stopping God from blessing you except your mouth. Don't let that happen. Don't get into that place. Be steady on the things of God. Don't be stubborn to the things of the flesh, but be steady for the things of God. Oh, because God wants to do some really, really good things. Would you all stand up with me? If you're sitting here today and you said, you know what, I have done some things, I have said some things, I've had some attitudes towards authority in my life. You need to fix it right now. Get it straightened out. And change your attitude towards it. Because it will help you tremendously if you learn to do that. If you learn how to walk according to the principles of the Word of God in this. Oh, it's going to do some good things for you.
this morning as we pray. The Alexanders are on the way over to Penn State, probably there by now, heading back pretty soon, taking Peter. Jolly is over at, uh, finishing up his chaplain training. Lou's over in Germany. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he's got another week and a half. Oh, Thursday this week? Well, I was thinking he was going to be over there a little longer than that. Candy and Bobby, they weren't feeling well today. We want to pray for them. And mom and dad, my mom and dad are uh, both at home. They apparently both had a rough night. We can pray for, for them. Um, Alyssa and Nikolai, Nikolai's dad, Henry, is um, going to be alone a lot this week. His uh, wife has to travel, and he's been going in and out of shock at times. Then uh, didn't want to let his wife know that that was going on so she would be nervous about him leaving. But um, that's not a good situation to be in. So we want to pray for all these, these folks as we pray together. Father, we thank you that you help us to overcome these issues, these issues in our life. We all have been under bad bosses, harsh bosses, harsh supervisors, bad situations, situations that want us that try and make us rebel against authority. But Father, you haven't called us to rebel. You called us to work with and to bring a blessing in. I thank you that you help us to guard our words against those that are in authority with us. Those that stand over us. Because whether they like it or not, they're there to guard us, protect us, and help us. To bring to us blessings. Sometimes they do it willingly. Sometimes they don't do it so willingly. But Father, you find a way to make it work. We thank you for it. So as we go through this week, as words come out of our mouth that are contrary to this, I thank you that you help us to turn it around. That we learned early how to respect authority by listening to mom and dad. We need to continue those principles as we get older. Thank you for the help that you give us in that. Father, for these needs that have been brought up to us, Bobby and Candy, Father, I thank you for the word of God that is in them, that they will stand in faith and believe for what you have said. We thank you, Father, for Ron too and the way that your word is in him, that he will stand on your word. He will continue to feed your word on the inside of him, that as he has decided to choose life and to go in the way of healing, that, Father, you continue to feed him that the authorities that are in his life he receives from. We thank you for that. I thank you, Father, for ministering to Henry, that he is strengthened in you. No fear has to come upon him. Father, he rests in you. And that you show him the things that he needs to do. Doctors weren't able to find anything that's wrong yet. But that's all right. You can either use them or speak to him down in his spirit. This is what it is. And he'll know. Thank you, Father. As we learn to yield to your voice, to your spirit. Oh, yeah. We hear those things. You help us when it doesn't seem like we can figure it out on our own. Pray too for mom and dad and the things they were going through last night. And Father, you just minister to their faith, build them up, that as they make their stand against this, their stand is firm. And though many things come to what they see and what they hear to get them to waver, I thank you, Father, that they continue to stand strong on the things that the Word of God teaches, on the things that they believe. We give you the glory and the praise for it. Thank you too for Lou. Good trip on his return home. That his, uh, he will have a smooth, smooth flight back. And we thank you for it.
Jolly too, the training that he's going through. Thank you that it's going well. He's learning the things that he needs to learn. And he will excel whatever it is that you put in his hand to do. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.